Hollywood, and welcome to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman, and I'm joined today by Eric Gardner. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reconstituted Los Angeles Rams. In our first segment, we discuss something the internet's buzzing about and why it matters to Rams fans in a segment we call Ramdom. This week's Ramdom selection was a close call. There was Rams punter Johnny Hecker dressing up as Steve Austin on 316. Rams running back Todd Gurley winning $100 from a TMZ cameraman who challenged him to name three Jay-Z albums. But neither of these scenes stirred as much debate and dialogue as a certain incident that occurred at Harvard Westlake, the Tony Prep School educating Hollywood elite since 1900, where Rams COO Kevin Demoff dropped this bomb, quote, I will say, we've been really crappy in free agency. I've written a lot of bad deals. We just haven't found a lot of success in free agency. And so I think there's a buyer's beware in all of that in terms of going out and buying other people's players that we just haven't figured out. Eric, what do you make of Kevin Demoff's mea culpa at Harvard Westlake? It's, it's truly puzzling to me. It's, it's like eating a bad taco and, and deciding to give up all Mexican food. I mean, they, they spent big on Jake Long and Jared Cook a couple of seasons ago. It didn't pay off. But that's just two players. You know, true overpaying for free agency, you know, isn't smart. But, but you know, you, you got to ask yourself, how exactly does a, a 7-9 and nine team a season ago make the playoffs next season? You know, I think they... they hope that they are going to hit the ja- the draft jackpot, but you know, if, if Demoff thinks the team is bad at signing free agents, what does that say about his talent? That money they gave Mark Barron, how'd you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, they overpaid for him, but after Jenkins left, I think it would have been too big of a blow to, to let, you know, two key players in, in their defense leave, so they overpaid a bit, but they needed to do that at first I didn't like it but you look at the alternatives and I'm not sure that there were many you know I it, the, the thing though is, is that that this team needs to improve and if you're just resigning your own players uh, unless, unless these players you know perform better um, you know and, and they most many of their plays are young but unless they perform better, you know, there's not going to be too much improvement. So, so you know, they're really kind of just settling for mediocrity here. We don't know whether a signing is going to turn out to be a good signing or a bad signing. But then there's the question of, like, what is their out? What is going through their mind? Are they thinking clearly? Um, so what what can we infer about their state of mind from these moves they've made so far? Well, uh, A, Jeff Fisher believes he has a championship caliber team. B, Jeff Fisher doesn't believe that his job is on the line. Or C, Jeff Fisher believes salvation will come via the draft. I mean, in all seriousness, you know, everyone knows that, that the Rams need a better uh, better you know, game in, in their passing uh, uh, game. Um, and, and it'd be a surprise if if that's not addressed in the draft. So, so by letting, you know, a lot, a lot of players leave like Chris Long, Janoris Jenkins, James Florinitis, 
you know, it, it signals that, that they believe that they have depth at, at defense to withstand the departures. Um, but it's not, you know, a good uh, kind of boost of confidence for fans looking to see, you know, to see that, that this team is going to make a step forward. Let's go through some of these, some of these signings from, uh, from this year. Um, a, B, C, D, or F. Um, I'm interested in in your perspective on each of these. Mark Barron, uh, we talked about earlier, five years, $45 million, um, $5 million signing bonus, $20 million guaranteed, uh, a- average salary, $9 million. Yeah, there's one footnote on, on Barron. They, they, they traded for him. Uh, if you remember, and they didn't give up much, so that was a great trade that they had made. But they made a very foolish mistake. Barron was a first-round pick. They could have had a six-year uh, six-year option on him for, for very cheap and let him kind of prove his worth at, at, at a new position. Instead, they let that pass and they had to give him this big uh, long-term contract for probably too much money. Um, you know, it's. You know, it, it's a, probably a couple million more than than most people were expecting them to 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 pay. But uh, you know, given the fact that they had gotten rid of Laurinaitis and they plan on on, on moving Ogletree to, to to middle linebacker, um, you know, it's something that 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 they needed to do. Uh, the, the defense wouldn't would probably have taken a you know a big step back had they not been able to to uh, you know get talent in, in the in the in the linebacker core so you're giving it what grade i'm i'm giving it a, a b okay uh william hayes big plays big play hayes one of tanisha's uh favorite rams signed a three-year 17.5 million dollar contract 10 million guaranteed average five eight and change um how'd you feel about that that's a three year deal and he is currently, I believe, thirty thirty he's currently thirty, so it'll last until he's thirty three. Hayes has always been, you know, a, a very solid performer, uh, kind of under the radar. Um, you know, every time he stepped in for Chris Long and and, and you know, there there's been a lot of times over the last two years, he, he's done fairly well. So I think he truly deserves uh, the contract that that he, he got, um, you know, I, I I think that was actually a smart move to let let Chris Long go, uh, and, and just uh, resign Hayes. Um, you know, I, I'll give that one uh, an A minus, uh, only only minus because you know he is a little up in age, uh, so you know hopefully he he uh, you know he keeps performing the way he has and, and can and. and sh- can shoulder that that you know bigger role, um, but you know over, overall I absolutely no problem with 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 bringing him back. Uh, this is one of the more recent signings. Cody Sensabaugh, twenty uh, seven years old, signed for fourteen million dollars total, six point five guaranteed. Here's one of those guys coming over from from Tennessee. Um, Jeff uh, Fisher. Uh, apparently thought highly of him, higher than a lot of the um, experts, I think. I think this was, a, this was a number that exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Well, this guy is a 15-game starter, and, you know, I'll, I'd be lying if I said that I watched him play, you know, every snap. 
with the tight ends. But, you know, it seems to me that, that he's, you know, wildly inconsistent. That he has some good games, he has some bad games. Um, I don't think that they see him as anything more than, uh, you know, a nickel corner. Uh, he can be okay. Uh, you know, I think that there were better players on the market. Um, it's, it didn't pay that much for him, but they still paid enough that, that they probably sacrificed uh, the opportunity to go and go after some other players. So uh, this I, I, I give a C. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's you look at these guys out of context and they have pros and they have cons and you can always spin it so that there's some lot. I mean, it would be a pretty awful signing if you couldn't find some sort of spin for each player. But, you know, for me, this one this one was a tough one to stomach. Uh, first of all, what does it mean for LaMarcus Joyner? Um, wasn't he the nickel corner um, that we spent a second-round draft pick on after spending second-round draft picks on Brian Quick and uh, Isaiah Pede? Um, and once again, is this another defensive player that we're throwing millions and millions of dollars at um, into the foreseeable future. Our next, uh, you know, that was a, a, a bit of a head scratcher for me. Um, plus, even beyond, we have Marcus Robeson had a good year. Um, and do you really need a guy stepping in immediately who's not even necessarily that good? Can't this, is there no one that this money could be spent on that they could use? Um, I, I think that, you know, they wanted depth, um, especially with EJ Gaines coming back. And you can't be, you know, 100% certain that, that he um, is going to perform as, as he did before his season-long injury. Uh, I also don't think that they wanted to spend, spend any draft, high draft picks uh, on corners. So, you know, to me, this, just represents as, as you know, bringing in a guy that that uh, Greg Williams and Jeff Fisher are comfortable with, that can step in if if you know if, if things get rough. Um, but if if he does play a lot, uh, you know, I would be a, a tad concerned. I mean, I I would be a tad concerned if this was just the only corner that they knew about because he was on the Tennessee Titans, um, and they didn't have any to resign left on their own. Um, our next, our next guy is Eugene Sims. Once again, another defensive player. Uh, this is a, a Devaney guy, right? This is a guy who, along with uh, Robert Quinn, precedes the less need Jeff Fisher regime. Though he's managed to to thrive in that regime. He's 29 years old. He signed a a three year deal, 10 million dollars, uh, only three seven five guaranteed. Um, this this. This seemed to be a, a strong signing. Yeah, I mean, it didn't pay much for him. He, he's been solid in the rotation, not, nothing too special. Um, he, you know, never is, is going to be a superstar. Um, yeah, I don't expect much advancement in, in, in his career, but you could do far worse than, than him for, for, you know, a, a few plays, um, you know, every series. Uh, I, you know, it's it, it's solid. It's it, it's a D. I don't think that, um, you know, that they're going to get too much out of him. Uh, but you know, it's you know, just a rotation play. 
uh, Quentin Copples. Um, I don't have the terms here. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a crazy contract. Uh, former Jets first round pick, I believe, it was the twelfth twelfth pick in the draft. Um, played alongside Robert Quinn at North Carolina. Uh, the Jets gave up on him. I believe was it Tampa Bay or Miami who who tried to make it work with him. Miami was. Miami. He's still only 25. Um, what did you, once again, another defensive player um, joining the rotation of, I mean, here we have, you know, arguably the strongest part of the team is the defensive line. And we've spent a lot of time here talking about their free agent moves. Yeah, William I, Hayes, I don't, I, Eugene I don't, Sims. I don't have high expectations for this. I mean, I guess you could call it a, a low-risk, high-upside play. But, uh, you know, personally, I think that, that Ethan Westbrook's another defensive lineman has, has, has better potential. Um, and uh, I I don't expect this to be a, a major signing that we all look back on and, and say, wow, they were, they were smart here. Um, you know, I, they've tried with kind of former first round busts in the past and it, you know it generally doesn't doesn't work out i think a guy like nick fairly is a bit different because he he always showed that 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 he was that capable Copos has, has shown absolutely nothing in his career so you know maybe maybe the, the coaches believe that they can staff him up maybe being on the same line as as some of their other you know great players will help them but uh, the Jets didn't have a, a, a shabby defensive line themselves, so uh, I don't I don't see how how this is really going to be any, any uh, you know jaw dropper. So your Quentin Copples grade is uh, C minus. C minus. Uh, Cody Davis they upped with this uh, wasn't an acquisition, but Cody Davis is you know apparently going to. Replace Rodney McLeod as the as of now, I guess he's number one on the depth chart. Unless they have plans for Lamarcus Joyner, all five eight of him playing free safety. Um, what do you make of Cody Davis as a player? Uh, he's fine. Uh, you know, he, he. I think he he's been better in, in special teams uh, thus far in his career. Um, I I don't know. He, he he's been fairly capable at, at safety when I've seen him in preseason. He hasn't done too gotten too many snaps in, in regular season games at the position. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those cross-the-finger type things. But you know, if they could get a good pass rush, um, they have a, a, a pretty decent, uh, you know, secondary with the other corners. Um, and, and, and Barron is, is, is pretty good. Uh, in in mixed coverage, uh, you know, I think they can withstand one shaky safety. So so yeah. we'll 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 see. We'll uh, see. You know, and also people forget Rodney McLeod was a cross your fingers type guy uh, a couple of years ago. No one believed in him. Uh, that was one that you know the re- you know the coaches deserve a lot of credit for for seeing. Um, let's turn to the uh, to the offensive side of the ball. Um, uh, one of their most more recent signings is one of my uh, probably my favorite. Uh, re-upping Corey Harkey. I love Corey Harkey. Three years, uh, two point five guaranteed, 
5.7 total, an average of 1.9. I, I swear, this guy is, when he's in the game, um, you know, good things happen in the running game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he, he's, he's solid. He's defense. There, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of those type of players throughout, throughout the league. You know, I guess, you know, we might be familiar, most familiar with hockey because he's done a decent job. Um, on the team, but I I don't think that he's any anything special compared to other talents that that that's out there. Um, I don't have any problems with 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 with, with, with this resigning. I, I might not love it as much as you, but you know I think he's a, he's a solid guy to ask around. And, you know he certainly did not break the bank at all. So what are you thinking, B from you? Yeah, yeah, B B is is, is a good grade for this. All right, this one I'm really interested in what you have to say about. Tim Barnes gets re-up. No one saw this guy. Well, no one saw him winning the center job last year. Uh, no one saw, I don't think anyone predicted he'd be re-signed. He is only 27, but he gets two years, uh, 5.5 million, uh, three and a quarter guaranteed. Uh, I don't see this. I don't. Uh, I see the Rams uh, overestimating their strength at the point of attack. Um, and, Absolutely. And, this one concerns me, but I'd have to give it an incomplete grade because I, I, I need to know more about what, what their plans are. If, they, if they're if they resigning him to be their starter, I, I'm, I'm giving it a D because I, I just don't think that, that they, they've gone nearly as, as good offensive line projection as they need, um, they need to bring in someone in the in the draft. Maybe someone even a center as high as the second round. Um, you know, this this one is very questionable to me. Um, you know, according to kind of pro football focus, you know, uh, Barnes has 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 been kind of bottom tier of the league in in terms of center. I you know I have a little trouble figuring out why, why they're so confident um, in him. Yeah, this one, was, this one was tough for me. And it's also tough in the context, you know, in the context of, you know, the big additions to the offense being, you know, Corey Harkey and uh, our next guy, Brian Quick. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is almost like, I mean, look, they're not, it's not exactly, they're doubling down on a, on a disaster, but, uh, so, but they're not doubling down with a big contract, only 1.5 guaranteed. So essentially, you know, they're, they purchased, you know, a few more dollars worth of chips so they could <laughs> just play one more hand with, uh, with Brian quick and to see if he could he pay some dividends. Um, does he have any hope? Well, just think about how much you would hate it. If Quick went to another team and plus the potential that he did at the beginning of the uh, 2014 season, um, you know, yeah, I mean, there's a common theme to many of these signings where they're, you know, they're not really overpaying for these guys. They're not not taking many chances, um, but you know, they're comfortable with them and, and they want to see and they want to see more. He's still young. He's coming up. You know, he came off an injury, so you know, perhaps. Well, one could excuse his performance last year for that, um, but uh, this team 
desperately need better wide receivers. And, uh, and, 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 you know, surely that that's going to be their prime focus at draft. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that, that is not the, not, not the end, end to the story about who, who the team, you know, wishes to bring in. And last but not least, uh, Case Keenum offering him the first round tender at 3.635 million, um, was a bit of a surprise. Um, a bit of, uh, you know, they, the, the Rams have long supported Case Keenum, I guess, unless they were, uh, letting him get, you know, pulled off the practice squad by the Houston Texans. Um, they've been supporting him, but they are believers. Um, and they put their money where their mouth is, and they claim he's the starting quarterback. And that being said, I don't think he's going to be a, a guy that wouldn't accept a, a backup role. Um, what'd you think about the first round tender in particular? I guess the, the rumor was that, that the Broncos were going to be interested in him, um, which is actually fine. I would have loved to have him tended a little bit lower and feel it that drafted. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know, uh, really this, this is again, kind of an incomplete grade based on, you know, what's the, what's the come, um, you know, certainly at the quarterbacks that played for the Rams last season, he is the best, but he only did it over, you know, uh, you know, four or five game stretch. And even at his best, you know, you have to wonder whether that's good enough to take this team to the promised land. So, you know, it, you know, I prefer Case Keenan better as a, as a backup. Um, the problem is that, that they don't have anyone else on, on, on their roster um, who seems capable of stepping up. Uh, so, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, you, you got, you got to wonder, you know, what, you know, what makes them so confident in this guy? That was Eric Gardner of The Hollywood Reporter. In our final segment, which we call Film Study, we dissect an episode or scene from a film or TV show that prominently features, you guessed it, Los Angeles Rams. Thankfully, there are thousands to choose from, many of which we're chronicling on our greatest show on grass, Tumblr. Today, we turn to 1969's The Undefeated, co-starring Rams quarterback Roman Gabriel. Roman Ildonzo Gabriel Jr. was born on August 5, 1940. The child of a Filipino father and an Irish-American mom, he was raised in Wilmington, North Carolina. Shy and sensitive, the young Roman dove deeply into team sports. He played baseball, basketball, and football, eventually playing quarterback for North Carolina State. After an All-America senior year, the Los Angeles Rams selected Gabriel in the first round of the 1962 draft. With his $5,000 bonus, he bought a Chevy Impala and drove across country with his wife and their two young boys. It took three years and the hiring of George Allen as head coach for Gabriel to become a starter with the Rams. It probably shouldn't have taken Gabriel so long to earn the starting job, as 
his physical gifts were fairly obvious. As Jim Murray wrote in 1965, quote, at six feet four inches, he is one of the few NFL quarterbacks who can see over the heads of defensive ends. At 225 pounds, he's rugged enough to shake off even the Henry Jordans and the Alex Karras's. He can throw a ball 80 yards on the fly. For sheer arm, he is the Sandy Koufax of the NFL. Because of his size, strength, and his lesser-known ability to read defenses, Roman Gabriel became the first true quarterback of the modern era. Even the superior quarterbacks who preceded him tended to be short, slight, and with more moxie than might. In fact, prior to Gabriel, the image of an NFL quarterback wasn't all that different than the image of an NFL kicker or punter. In the words of Bob Oates, who wrote the forward to Gabriel's football journal of the 1969 season Player of the Year, quote, This kind of quarterback power is comparatively new. It began with Gabriel, who in recent years has brought about a change in the nation's quarterback model. Formerly, the model was the lithe, slope-shouldered type, an inch or two over six feet, a Johnny Unitas. Nowadays, you'll hear football people talk about the, quote, classic Roman Gabriel-style quarterback. Not surprisingly, that archetype didn't exist prior to Roman Gabriel. Of course quarterbacks dropped into the pocket, withstood the pressures of pass rushes, and of course Roman Gabriel wasn't the first quarterback to have a powerful arm. But when Gabriel completed a pass, it somehow felt more... anatomically correct? Unitas was a superior all-around player, but look at them standing next to each other, and it's hard to even grasp that they even played the same position. Roman was the perfect name for a man who carried himself with the monumental qualities of an ancient sculpture. He seemed chiseled out of stone. Gabriel became the platonic ideal of the quarterback. His physical icon was even greater than his physical performance, which made it all the more interesting when Gabriel started to appear on the big screen. Though it was his largest part to date in 1969, Gabriel had had a few bit parts prior to the undefeated, playing a football player in an episode of Perry Mason in 1965, a headhunter who gets to encage Ginger and Marianne in a 1966 episode of Gilligan's Island, and a prison guard in Otto Preminger's totally bonkers counterculture satire, Skidoo, in 1968. Released in 1969, The Undefeated boasts two of the biggest male box office stars of the time, John Wayne and Rock Hudson, each approaching the ends of their legendary careers. You'd be hard-pressed to come up with two icons on more opposite ends of the spectrum of how we consider masculinity. Wayne, for better or worse, was the embodiment of the rugged American male and a paragon of traditional conservative society, while Hudson was a hunky heartthrob who mostly played in lightweight comedic fantasies aimed at American women, all the while hiding the fact that he was gay. The film begins at the end of the Civil War as Confederate Colonel James Langdon, played by Hudson, leads a group of his men and their families to Mexico, where the Emperor Maximilian has promised them land and the opportunity to start a new life. Along the way, they encountered John Henry Thomas, played by Wayne, a former Union cavalry officer in the process of driving south 3,000 steers to sell to the Mexican government. 
The Confederates are suspicious of their new acquaintances, particularly Thomas's adopted son, a Native American named Blue Boy, played by Roman Gabriel. Not to make things more complicated than they need to be, but I should mention that Rams Hall of Fame defensive tackle Merlin Olson also appears in the film in a lesser role of a Confederate soldier. Gabriel and Olson tended to do things together during their Rams days. They were roommates on the road, owned several businesses together, including a Volkswagen dealership in Gardenia and a travel agency. And in 1971, they even co-hosted an ill-fated TV show called Man to Man, where luminaries like Ricardo Montalban would show up to talk sports and showbiz. But I digress. Bonnie and Clyde changed everything for the Western in 1967. But while other Westerns coming out in 1969, like True Grit, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and The Wild Bunch, seemed infected with the revolutionary spirit of the age, the undefeated was pretty old-fashioned you're not going to find references to the My Lai Massacre in The Undefeated. The edgiest aspect of the film is the mixed-race romance between Blue Boy and Langdon's daughter Charlotte, played by Melissa Newman, daughter of Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. I know, a football player dressing up as a Native American. That sort of sounds familiar, and I hear you. The Undefeated traffics in its fair share of ethnic stereotypes, But the Blue Boy character uh, has so much more going on than your noble and or savage, quote-unquote, redskin. For one thing, he's wholly active. He pines for Charlotte, defies convention, and risks his life to make sure she's okay. Here's Blue Boy explaining his feelings for her to John Henry. Listen for Blue Boy's matter-of-factness about the opposite sex and John Henry's confessed out-of-touchness. Want to tell me all about it? I was thinking about that girl. What girl? The Confederate colonel's daughter. Mm. The one named Charlotte. She's a pretty girl. A little young, but pretty. I want her. You want her? And she wants me. Well, how'd you figure that out? You raised me to know John Henry. I taught you what to do when the snow comes, how to survive in a blizzard, and I taught you how to deal with men. But women... Nobody knows what's on a woman's mind. Well, she wants me. And when we go home, she'll be with me. And here's the scene when Blue Boy finally scores. I knew it would be nice. Why'd you ask me how old I am? Do you care? No. I'm glad you're young. It gives us more time to be together. Oh, I'll always be young, if I always feel the way I do now. When we go back to the territory, you'll be with me. The abrupt end to that scene is a Confederate officer taking exception to a Southern Belle hooking up with a Native American. For the moment, Blue Boy will have to deal with Blue Balls. But he soon proves himself to his Confederate counterparts. It is Blue Boy 
who gets Thomas and his men to rescue Langdon and his soldiers when they're taken prisoners by the Mexicans. Even though a secondary character, it is Blue Boy who ends up the hero of the story. The fact that Gabriel is, in essence, in red face makes it a little tough to celebrate his Blue Boy, but his Filipino background makes it not just a little bit subversive that, in the end, it's he, and not Wayne or Hudson, that gets the girl. The Undefeated seems to be suggesting that the old tropes of masculine identity were lies of sorts, whether Wayne's macho everyman or Hudson's overcompensating Casanova. In The Undefeated, the least likely character walks off with the girl, even though he was the quarterback of the Los Angeles Rams. The final scene in the film is perhaps its most conspicuous nod to Gabriel's icon and to the era. Langdon is riding next to Thomas, a little head of Blue Boy and Charlotte, in a quasi-father-of-the-bride moment. Here's the scene. John Henry, what are that Indian boy's intentions? Probably disgraceful, Colonel. But it's not what he'll do to her, it's what she's done to him. <laughs> That's Blue Boy and Charlotte laughing to one another as the two fathers realize that she's gotten Blue Boy to cut his long, flowing, traditional hair. On the surface, it's a problematic moment, a celebration of cultural imperialism. But look closely, and you'll see that while Blue Boy has in fact cut his hair, his new haircut hardly resembles the closely cropped haircut of Langdon or Thomas. What we see is Roman Gabriel's own hair, typical of a man in the late 1960s. Quote, long and styled was how he described it in Player of the Year. In essence, and this is because Blue Boy is played by Roman Gabriel, the film ends with two Hollywood actors playing old soldiers acknowledging that a new era is upon us. It may not be Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow getting shot up in a Ford V8, but it's as close to revolutionary as the undefeated gets. Three quarters of the way through the 1969 season, the film must have seemed to have the predictive powers of Joe Namath, as the Rams had an 11-0 record going into December. But in an unprecedented move on the part of George Allen, the coach eased up once the division title was in hand, giving his starters a break and allowing his reserves a chance at some playing time. The Rams lost their final three games of the regular season and a conference playoff against the Minnesota Vikings. Gabriel would nevertheless walk away with the AP NFL MVP of the 1969 season, throwing for 2,549 yards and 24 touchdowns with only seven interceptions. Roman Gabriel didn't necessarily care for his performance in The Undefeated. Quote, Back home in North Carolina, some of my best friends may compare me to Johnny Unitas someday, he said, but Richard Burton is safe. Years after, Rams defensive end Jack Youngblood would come to be known as the John Wayne of football. I've always found it an odd compliment. Comparing a man so tough he played the Super Bowl with a broken leg to an actor who pretended to be a tough guy. Shouldn't it be the other way around? 
Roman Gabriel wasn't the John Wayne of football. His identity will forever be connected with the physical prototype he established for the modern quarterback, a prototype that overshadowed his personality. Unlike his cross-country counterpart, Joe Namath, who was all personality and seemed to thrive despite his body, Gabriel felt a little distant. But since he was a Los Angeles Ram, if you wanted to get to know what was going on inside, you had the movies. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast, part of the Sideshow Network. You can follow us on Twitter at LA Rams Podcast or email us at greatestshowongrass at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>